Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Even on a down day where the Dow dipped 98 points, S&P backslid 0.16%. NASDAQ lost pittance 0.03%. We keep seeing very compelling action at the level of individual stocks. I'm talking about these multi-day up extravaganzas where investors can't buy enough shares in one session after a positive event. So they keep coming back day after day after day to get their full positions on, no matter how much the stock runs in the interim. It's become a defining trait of this market since the new year began, and it played out spectacularly today in a host of large capitalization stocks, despite the market. Uh, It wasn't distinctly suboptimal tape. Honestly, I have never seen anything like it, so i got to point this out and explain it to you. Exhibit A, the stock of United Health Group. Big Dow Jones Company. Two days ago, UNH blew the doors off the numbers. Gave you a sensational guide. I pledged to invest a significant amount of its newfound tax bounty in data analytics, technology, and innovation. Three things that have become the hallmarks of this unrivaled health insurer. So what happens? First, the the stock jumps up four bucks on the good news. Then the next day, another five. And then today, it adds another four points. Now, you might think that's just downright absurd. How can buyers keep reacting to the same news day after day after day? Doesn't everyone know everything already? Yes, in theory, stocks are indeed supposed to react to news almost instantaneously. But that's not how, quite how it works anymore in practice. Allow me to explain. As a former block trader, meaning someone who used to buy large amounts of stock at once, I can tell you that we're seeing something truly amazing happening here. UNH, a $235 billion company with nearly a billion shares outstanding, doesn't have enough liquidity to sate all the buyers out there at lower levels. Kind of like a bunch of Godzillas unleashed all at once trying to beat each other over the head to get some stock in as much as possible in a single day. Typically, if someone wants to buy, say, 100,000 shares of UNH, it can be done what I call on the line. Hey, pick it up, right? Meaning a broker will make you an offering for, say, 50,000 shares and then work the order, meaning get you the remaining 50,000 in by the end of the day. When I say make an offering, I mean the broker is so confident there are sellers all over the place, they come on a billion shares, that will short you the stock as a favor to get the rest of the order in and keep you happy. Now, though, what we're seeing is that there simply aren't enough sellers for these block traders to get their orders in anywhere near where the stock is going to trade by the end of the day. No matter how high it goes, and UNH is on its third day of new highs, the buyers can't complete their orders. They can't get a big enough chunk of stock at lower levels. Why does this matter? Okay, because if you're running a gigantic multi-billion dollar hedge fund, 
It's not worth buying a stock unless you can build a big position, one that's large enough to move the needle for your fund, which is why these guys need to keep coming back and buying and buying and buying until they're finished the orders. And they're competing against many other managers doing the exact same thing. What's so remarkable about this? None of the buyers seem to give up and walk away, no matter what the price. And the stock was up $4.73 today. And very few sellers appear or, or, or seem to be satisfied with this kind of rally and want to ring the register. The price keeps climbing. It's as if the owners don't want to miss out on what's to come. And the buyers are desperate to have these shares because they expect them to fly much higher. It's a crazy case of FOMO. Fear of missing out on the next big move. Even as these buyers are creating that move with their own massive footprint. It's not just UNH. We are seeing the exact same thing at a company that I follow closely called ASML Holdings. This gigantic European semiconductor capital equipment maker, the stuff you need to make semis, Reported dramatically better than expected earnings yesterday. The stock jumped nearly $13 in the news. Then today, it sped up another 4 bucks and changed no news. Again, that's all big money managers being unable to get all the stock they wanted on the first day. So they have to come back and keep buying on the second. No doubt hoping against hope that they'll get a better deal with the next purchase because they see the stock market down. They said, how could they miss? The FOMO got so heated here in this particular group yesterday that investors started aggressively buying anything. It was a customer, a peer, a, a land research, KLA Tech or Applied Materials. Then they bought the stocks of, of clients, Texas Instruments, Micron, Analog Devices. It was an endless binge, although some of those collateral plays lost their mojo today. We saw the same phenomenon. I've been talking about it with the re-rating piece I did earlier this week on Boeing, at least until today's 10-point meltdown. I remember going into my interview with CEO Dennis Mullenberg in early December when the stock was in the 270s. I was listening, and I said, you know, what the heck? I can see this monster flying as high as $400. But the moment I blurted it out, though, I caveated. I caught myself. I said, maybe in the next 18 months. Yeah, I didn't want to just say, hey, $400. I mean, I'm sorry, $400, give you some time here, a window. Well, just yesterday, the Darn stock hit 350 bucks. Now it's back to 340. And the fact that it just had a down day might actually give analysts the green light to raise the price targets tomorrow. Kick off yet another rally. This thing was only 50 points from the thing level I thought it would be at, you know, geez, I don't know, 16 months from now. We've had bouts of buying like this in all sorts of high capitalization stocks like Caterpillar and FedEx, even Walmart, the $309 billion behemoth that trades like a small cap teen retailer. Walmart's part of a one-two punch pattern that I'm starting to see a lot of. That's where the company initially announces big pay raises for employees, courtesy of a reduced tax bill. And now, according to a crucial upgrade this morning by Goldman Sachs, the company's on the verge of what might be an even bigger buyback than it's already had, not to mention a gigantic boost to its already outsized dividend. I know Apple announced the equivalent of an American Marshall plan yesterday that could unleash a massive amount of capital to create jobs. However, the stock didn't give up the gain today, and I think that's because yesterday's announcement might signal that another huge back authoriz- uh, buyback authorization could be in the offing. A little profit taking after hours, but that was off of uh, a company we're going to talk about later in the show. Of course, I'm sure some of you are thinking, uh, Kramer, you will make just not stop and come up with anything positive to say about things that are really negative. For instance, isn't this a classic sign of uh, irrational exuberance? Isn't it indicative of wild, desperate buying, classic blow off top? You know what? I might have known another time said that. Now, wait a second. It's really indicative of a shortage of stock. 
So many sheriffs of so many companies have been retired, bought back, and crunched. So many existing shareholders are owning, no longer renting their stocks, that portfolio managers have no choice but to drive up prices dramatically with their own buying. Those of you who trade stocks in units of 100 or even 1,000 shares, you will never have to worry about this, although you will obviously be swept up in the wake. But if you're buying in blocks of 100,000 shares, any meaningful purchase is going to leave huge footprints these days. Now, for those of you who say, nope, I'm not going to play this game, I'm not being part of the Godzilla stampede, i got an idea for you, too. I'm trying to give you a little change up here. It's just all these stocks that are running. You know, I don't like to chase. It's one of my rules and get rich carefully. Why don't you take a look at the stock of Goldman Sachs? Now, forget the fact that I work there and I have fond memories of the place. This stock sells at the biggest discount to its peers since it came public. And it's considered to be a great place, a fabulous place to work, a place to make a lot of money. You are paying a price for a near miss that I believe will be fixed within this year. Why Goldman? because it knows how to trade volatility. Lately, we've had a remarkable lack of volatility, which has been terrible for the earnings. But it wouldn't shock me, judging by the body language on the conference call, if Goldman's about to become the biggest trader in the volatility of the most, of the most volatile market of all. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, cryptocurrencies. Plus, right now, the stock is being weighed down by employees who have a limited window to sell their shares right after the quarter's announced. The bottom line, the most amazing thing is that this gang tackle buying that I'm talking about isn't happening in a vacuum. Today, the averages got slammed, and it didn't even matter. Now, that's FOMO with a hashtag. And I think it's only going to get more heated as earnings season goes on. Joe in Indiana. Joe! Hello. Would this be Jim Cramer? Yeah, it is the Jim Cramer. What's going on there, partner? Well, thank you. Thank you very much for taking my call. My question has to do with the merger between Qualcomm and and Broadcom. Uh, merger. About about a month or so uh, ago, you you had a positive outlook on it. Since then, uh, on November 13, uh, Qualcomm rejected the the Broadcom uh, in uh, mm-hmm. attempt to. To merge with them, right? And they offered a very, very poor amount of money. In fact, it's it's, it's laughable. It's a it's sixty dollars in cash and and uh, ten dollars in Broadcom stock. Right. And if that this put the stock already well, at well, Joe, here's what's happening. I mean, I think that I think Hawk Tan, the CEO of of uh, of Broadcom, Symbol AV Joe, I think he's starting to realize he's not going to get. It. He's going to walk away, and he's going to have himself a three hundred dollar stock on his hand, two sixty nine. I think you add Hawk. I'm begging you, man, put three hundred dollars on your stock, walk away. And by the way, Qualcomm will go up too because it's a little distracting. But Hawk Tan has never heard his stock this bad. He's never let this happen. He's going to take advantage of it, walk away, and you got a winner in Qualcomm and. And a winner in Broadcom. It's going to happen. It has to. Mark in Nevada. Mark. Hi, Jim. How are you doing today? I'm good, Mark. How are you? Oh, pretty good. Staying warm. Uh, a while back, I had looked at J.C. Penney stock back when it was in the twos, and since the holidays, it's pulled up quite a bit. Is there a price point where you would consider buying it on a pullback? You know, I'm not really that interested. I, you know, I've got to tell you how I look at these things. I shop everywhere, and if I shop at a place that I'm not that crazy about, I don't recommend the stock. And, and I'm not crazy about shopping at J.C. Penney. The people are very nice. I just don't find a very satisfactory experience, so I can't recommend the stock. How about we go to Brooks in Florida? Brooksy. Hey, Jim, thanks for taking my call. Good to talk to you. Yeah, my question is this, Jim. With Celgene, it talks to acquire Geno Therapeutics. With Nectar, if it's larger, 
and higher quality pipelines be next? Well, I have been saying that Nectar, Juno, Halo, Kite, they're all specs, and some of them are really working out and working out big. If you want to take some uber-mad money that you're not afraid to lose and buy some, I'm blessing it. I think there's nothing wrong with speculation. I am the only person to view it ever say that. Multi-up days for big cat names is a sign of a shortage of stocks, people. It's a sign that FOMO is happening. And it's feeding an incredibly hungry beast. That is some big smoke. Well, man, money tonight. IBM just reported earnings. The stock is, cr- is really cratering after hours. So what do we do? Well, why don't we talk with the CFO, who is now the Senior Vice President of Global Marketing. You know him as Martin Schroeder. He's had a lot of titles. Then I'm revealing the four different dichotomies driving the stock market. And PPG reported this morning, is it painting a pretty picture? Or did the stock go up for no reason? I've got the CEO. Stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Now and then, I think this market gives you a kind of a gift here. Take the stock of IBM. For years, this company's been trying to balance out the slowdown in its legacy business by bulking up its faster-growing divisions, like the cloud, analytics, and artificial intelligence. So today, when IBM finally managed to accomplish that, the stock still got slammed in after-hours trading. The company just reported a modest top-in-line beat. More importantly, they delivered its first quarter of revenue growth, up 4% in six years. Six years! Honestly, this looked like a very good quarter, and I think the guidance was pretty good, and I don't understand why everyone's freaking out, just because, hey, I think the stock ran up six points in the last two days, juiced by a couple of analysts who should have waited. Now, earlier today, I got a chance to check in with Martin Schroeder. He's IBM's Senior Vice President of Global Markets and a former CFO, and I think this interview can shed some light on a subject that I think people are taking too lightly. Take a look. First, Martin, congratulations on your promotion at IBM. Thank you, Jim. Thank you very much. Very exciting. Is this the quarter that many people have been waiting for and that they want the reinvention, they want to get in, or should we wait to see how 2018 goes? Well, let's, let's talk about how we see the quarter first, and then we'll talk a bit about 2018 because we just did give guidance. So for us, the quarter kind of played out as we thought it would. We did... Uh, we did a very strong systems performance. Uh, we had a mix that didn't have as much software. But at the bottom line, we finished basically where we wanted. We also finished really, really well in cash. So first half to second half, which we described back in July, kind of played out as we said, and that puts us on a good base. Now, what you just heard was we guided toward uh, growing revenue and stable margins. Now, at the EPS line, we have some, we have some tax headwinds which we'll deal with, but operationally, growing revenue, stable margins. So when we think about the transformation of IBM, I'd say that, that yes, now the, the portfolio is transformed and we've got some momentum going into 2018. Well, let's talk about the portfolio because I'm sure that some people say, well, wait a second, it was aided by the mainframe and that's cyclical and who knows when that's going to die out. And in the meantime, they have these cognitive solutions. Are they growing at the level that you would have wanted a couple years ago? Yeah, there's, there's a lot there. So let's start with the mainframe first. Okay. So is the mainframe going away? 
we just shipped more capacity for mainframe. So how much you can process. We shipped more capacity in the last 90 days than we ever have in any other 90 day period. And in fact, the amount of capacity that's available globally for the mainframe is now two and a half times what it was like 10 years ago. So the mainframe's not going away. It's still the most robust platform. Who the heck uses it still? So banks, nine out of the 10 biggest banks, nine out of the 10 biggest airlines. If you want, uh, you want scalability, because we have big global clients. You want scalability. You wonder why your banking transactions work. You wonder why the reservation systems and airlines work. You wonder why, how the trains work and how supply chains work. 70, 75% of the world's enterprise data still travels in and around a mainframe because there's nothing like it. Nothing like it. And if I wanted to hack an IBM mainframe and change my ticket and yeah. ch- someone gets in and tries to be me at a bank, what happens? So, so in, a, in a Z14, which is our most recent mainframe, which, again, we just ship more than we ever have before, it has, uh, it has uh, an inability. You can't get into it. Right? Everything's encrypted all the time which means that you, there's no user who can get into it unless, they, unless, un, unless you want them to. So right? theoretically, what would happen is if I'm, if I'm interested in hacking someone, I'm a bad guy, I'm going to go to the non-IBM because the IBM is too hard to hack. There are much easier targets, much easier targets if everything's encrypted. Encrypted data is not worth much. But I also want to come back to your point on, on is the mainframe cyclical. Right. So there's this, there's this uh, idea around cyclical changes in IT and secular. When we introduced our, uh, our, our strategic imperatives a few years ago, we identified the secular changes that were happening in the IT marketplace. And we talked about cloud. We had great cloud growth in the fourth yes. again. We talked about security. We had great security growth. We talked about analytics. We talked about mobile. So those are the secular changes that are happening. In the fourth quarter, with mainframe going well, yes, the mainframe may, may have a, a, a piece of a cycle to it. I have right. a theory about that, which I'll come back to, right. but they have, they have a cyclical piece. But it's in a secular trend, and secular trend is for security. Right. So security is growing. Uh, mobile is growing. Cloud is growing. So the secular nature is what allows us to be confident that we can grow into 2018. Okay, uh, periodically analysts have been critical. They'll say, well, listen, that was a one-time game intellectual property. That was a one-time tax. They made it through tax. How do I know that this time is different uh, and that it wasn't something one time that is going to fall off next year? Well, again, our guidance says we're going to grow revenue. Our guidance says we're going to stabilize margins, right? Again, tax is a headwind in 2018, and so, so we have to overcome that. Getting, a lot of companies are getting their tax cut. Your numbers are actually going up despite a tax increase. Yes. So, but, but let's talk about tax reform for a second, because the cause of our tax uh, rate to go up is tax reform. But we have been supporters, and we, uh, we remain big supporters of tax reform, because over the long term, right, and IBM always manages over the long term. Right. Over the long term, it's going to free up our capital. It gives us a territorial system so we can invest on par with, uh, with our competitors. Right, so if it's over the long term, what we're saying is that those who've been waiting for the reinvention, you got to get in now because it's not going to suddenly roll over. There are secular trends, which are the, we're going to talk about some of the strategic yes. growth and uh, issues that you have, but also you didn't exhaust all the mainframe uh, uh, business in the first quarter. No, so mainframe will keep growing. We expect systems to have another great year. Okay. Right now, is it all going to be mainframe all the time? Look, our business shifts and, and changes. We had a great business in our power business in, in the fourth quarter. We had a great storage fourth quarter in a row of growth. So systems will have a very good 2018. Again, the, the secular nature of this is that the offerings are being driven by those, those shifts to cloud, those shifts to better security, the shifts to mobile. That's the secular trend, and those systems do satisfy those needs. Let's talk about a secular trend that our viewers are intensely interested in, but candidly, I think many don't know what it means. They want to be in blockchain. 
Yes. But they don't know what blockchain does and why they want to be in it other than that it sounds hot. Could you explain in real life terms why a business might want to adopt blockchain and how it eliminates friction and makes those businesses more lucrative? So today, if you bought IBM stock today, you'd have to wait three days sure. for that to clear because it has to go through its five. process. Three's it good. used to be five. Three's better. In a blockchain, in a blockchain, you have instant and you can see every transaction instantly. So your trade could clear and go from their account to your account instantly. Now, take that phenomena and think about a, a global trade, uh, a global trade network where you have manufacturers and shippers and freight forwarders and, and cargo agents and customs agents. That's a that's an, a, a market that has a T after it. Right. A trillion, two trillion dollars. So, those giant so it's ships much more efficient. 18,000 containers. Yes. We don't really know what's in them, where they're going. You're telling me blockchain would make it so that maybe you could have the trucks ready to pick it up. It wouldn't be sent to the wrong place. And that is a huge part of the error of commerce. Yes. So think about how quickly you could shorten that that uh, that logistics and all the only amount of capital you tie up. If you knew exactly when something was going to show up, you knew the paperwork because it's now on a blockchain. So, you know, it's right. There's no more paperwork. And you know that it's going to be cleared at a, at a specific time. Everyone has perfect uh, visibility to where everything is. You've just shortened that cycle dramatically. That creates a lot of value, a lot of value for manufacturers and retailers. How do I know Amazon isn't blockchain? How do I know Google's not better? How do I know IBM is synonymous with blockchain? Well, there are, there are three things at enterprises, and we deal with enterprises. Right. There are three they things that enterprises want out of blockchains, right? One, they have to know, they have to know that it's a permissioned network. So permission network means I know who else is in with me. Bitcoin okay. is not permissioned. Anybody right. could have a Bitcoin. Right. But if I'm Maersk, and we just created the joint venture with giant Maersk, shipping company. Right. I need to know who the manufacturers are. I need to trust and only let people in that I want in my network. Okay. So it has to be permissioned. Two, it has to be able to scale. 18,000 containers on every ship, thousands of ships, all these freight forwarders. So we're operating in the thousands and thousands of transactions per second. That suits an enterprise world. Bitcoin can't do that, as an example. And then immutability. You have to know that it can't be reversed. When you buy a share, the reason it takes three days is because somebody has a physical share. Right. Physical yeah. With the blockchain, the blockchain, it makes it so our blockchains are immutable. Nobody can go back and say that didn't really happen. Right. You know, lately there's been what I regard as a pushback on Watson. They say, okay, it's in an elevator. Okay, it's in some NASA space center. Um, give me a real-life example away from healthcare because we've talked about that yeah. many times where Watson is taking data and creating value from looking at billions of pieces of data instantly. And why is that different, say, from a company like I had Splunk on last night? They're good guys. So, they so, are able yeah. to do a lot of analysis. So I'll give you two. So okay. one, in, in, in reg tech and banks, banks have thousands and thousands of regulations they have to deal with in every country, right? Our right. big global bank customers have to do this 50 times. So what we have Watson doing is learning all the reg tech rules right. so that banks can navigate. So today they have thousands and thousands of people trying to make sure they don't go yes. foul of these regulations. We can do that with a, with a cognitive system. You're, anybody can go to H&R Block, anybody right. in the U.S., and file their taxes. H&R Block is backed by Watson. So when you sit down with an H&R Block associate to talk about your taxes, Watson's helping them, helping them prepare your taxes. Okay, now let's say I want to be a shareholder of IBM. I just listened to Martin tell a good story, and, uh, and you're in a terrific position. One day, uh, who knows, but the CEO currently, Jen Rometty, she had your job now, the one you have. So we're looking at Martin moving up, and we say, no, wait a second. 
That guy's talking about free cash flow. He's talking about what it means. I don't understand any of that. What does it mean for a shareholder that your free cash flow is much more battleful than we thought going into this quarter? So, so first, let's talk about magnitude. $13 okay. billion dollars is a lot of juice, right? That's right. a 13 billion is a lot of money that we can go put to work. We have to buy companies. We are, we are acquisitive. But out of that $13 billion, for instance, last year, 75% of that went back to our shareholders. Okay. 75%. So that goes back in two forms. Dividend. And by the way, we've raised the dividend over the last five years, you know, almost doubled it. Right. So doubling your dividend over time. And we have room, more room to go to keep growing the dividend. And we keep reducing the share count. Right. So you own a bigger and bigger piece if you hold your share. So our shareholders know their that our strategy, our financial model is built around the idea that you're going to get money back along the way. Okay, I, I started the interview by saying congratulations. I think people are trying to understand what this position means. Uh, you're not the CFO. We've interviewed you as CFO. And where you are, say, in, in the broader market, is this a, 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 a position where you're going to be around the, around the world telling people that this is what you should be selling? Or is it an analytics job? Give me, yeah. People don't understand so, the title, Martin. For, uh, I'm really excited about this role, by the way. Senior Vice President of Global Markets, really excited about the role. But in order to get excited about a role, you really got to be confident that the person who's taken yours, CFO is kind of a big job, right? Yeah, that, I think so. And, and our new CFO is terrific, right? So I can go into that next role, really excited about what I'm doing because we know that this guy is a real, real good operator. New role, new role. When you think about what I did for the last four years, I brought IBM together in front of our investors. Fabulous. Now I bring IBM together in front of our clients. That's the way to think about and it. And let's end it like that because clients are what matters most. There That's Martin Scherter. He's the Senior Vice President, IBM Global Markets. Martin, thank you so much. Thank you, Jim. Nice to see you. The more I think about it, the more I realize that the true story of this market is all about cognitive dissonance. There's just so many examples of investors holding two contradictory opinions at the same time. It has a tendency to color the tape, including days like today. For example, when you listen to all the conference calls like I do, like take the ones from the banks. They're constantly chattering about how much more money they can make from an environment where both short-term and long-term rates are rising bigger profits. You know what I call it? It's a one-two punch of positivity. Makes sense. When rates go up, lending becomes more profitable for the banks. Flows right to the bottom line. But just as we finally start to get some inflection in the yield curve, suddenly all kinds of commentators are bemoaning the potential consequences of higher long-term rates on the U.S. economy. How the heck is that possible? A few months ago, these same guys were worrying that the yield curve was too flat. Now their loan rates are rising. They're worried that it's not flat enough. I'd say these so-called experts need to read the conference calls. But I suspect it wouldn't matter. Why the heck would you ever let the facts get in the way of a good negative story? Where else do we see cognitive dissonance? I think people are having a very hard time viewing the economy empirically rather than emotionally. Let's be honest. President Trump is not exactly Mr. Popular. More than half the people in this country voted against him, and they seem to hate him even more as the day goes on. Even if they don't hate his economic policies, this country has become incredibly partisan, okay? I mean, like, vicious. Vast swaths of this country despise this guy and don't want to attribute anything good to him that occurs. On the flip side, the president's supporters adore the guy. And they give him more credit than he deserves. Who knows? Trump stock, Trump stock, Trump stock, Trump stock, Trump, Trump stock. How does this play out with the stock market? Simple. The economy is booming. And while some of that is because of the tremendous worldwide expansion, some of it, it was inherited from President Obama. 
The truth is that a lot of it relates directly to Trump's policies, specifically deregulation and the tax cuts. However, a lot of people who hate this president with the fire of a thousand suns don't want to believe it. Even some corporate executives who know his policies have been good for business, including their businesses, don't ever want to admit it. Simply because they're worried about embracing Trump, that it would be a public relations nightmare, especially overseas where they have a ton of business. And they don't like the guy personally. But that's a bad way to approach investing. That's not what we're doing in America. We have no room for that. We have no time for that. You need to put aside your personal opinions, even if you loathe Trump, even if you think he's an idiot, even if you trickle down economics as a toxic ideology. Listen up. You have to be able to admit that his agenda has been very good for business and for your stocks. Hold your nose if you have to, but accept the booming economy. Embrace it. Check your emotions at the door. But understand that we got a rager going on, for heaven's sakes. The third element of cognitive dissonance, all anyone wants to talk about are cryptocurrencies, even though they're now costing a fortune. In the meantime, stocks have largely been ignored. If the cryptos keep crashing, that speculative money will have to go somewhere. I bet it will flood into stocks, mostly micro and mini capitalizations, companies that have about as much going for them as uh, Bitcoin. It will give those tiny stocks a huge boost, but not happen yet. Okay, we accept that when people say, Jim, how about Bitcoin? I say, how about Boeing? Finally, there's another major uh, dynamic here that's less cognitive dissonance. And what about the simple mechanics of the stock market? We don't have enough new stock being printed. There are far too few IPOs and secondary offerings, which are like non-existent. And we have a ton of old stock being retired via buybacks, yet the ETFs are voracious buyers of anything that moves. Now, stock pickers are coming in on top of the ETFs and the index fund buyers and the race to purchase shares of cherished companies. Oh, think United Health and Boeing, as I talked to at the top of the show, and Caterpillar. Uh, it's nonstop. The only household names that are really struggling here are the ones that aren't reducing their share counts with voracious buybacks. Like the FANG stocks, my acronym for Facebook, Amazon, Alphabet. Oh, wait a second. Netflix, the end, and FANG. It's the only real outperformer here, so let's, let's rip that one out. Still, the fundamentals are good for these companies. And despite the hand-wringing you hear about potential antitrust action, there is nothing going on at the Justice Department to stifle the FANGs, from what I can tell. Don't believe me? Hey, listen, I ain't going to Harvard Law School for nothing. Forty years later, you know what? You end up knowing people at Justice. And we learned our antitrust law from the same professors. More importantly, this is the most business-friendly administration living memory. The last thing they want to do is crack down on antitrust when it comes to American ingenuity. Put it all together and you can understand why this market has faced so much skepticism, pessimism, whatever you want to call it, cynicism, even as it keeps powering higher. All right, it took a breather today, but you know what I'm talking about. Gradually, the bears will be forced to acknowledge, acknowledge reality. And when they do, that's how you get another leg of upside. I'm going to Zachary in South Carolina. Zachary. Jim, thanks for having me on. Of course. I would like to get your take on Alcoa. Missing their Q4 earnings yesterday after the close. I'm wondering if this is a buy opportunity to carry through an expanding global market or if continuing increased production costs and financial headwinds are going to be trouble for future earnings. I'm not so worried about the headwinds. And I actually look at they said on the conference call about how China is finally getting a little bit more uh, religion about killing people with their bad air. Um, That said, that was a miss and a miss is a miss. And you usually get stocks to go down three days on a miss. Okay, we're day one. Let's give it two more days and then we'll be chatting. Dave in Illinois. Dave. Dr. Kramer, from the land of Lincoln and city of broad shoulders, the only city on the planet that provides not one but two exchanges for Bitcoin futures, making price discovery possible. Thank you for taking my call. Oh, you betcha there. You betcha. You know why we haven't heard from you in a couple of days there. What's going on? 
Jim, earnings season kicked off last week with some of the nation's largest banks reporting. One fact has come to light among the multinationals. It is the rather large 4Q charges taken in preparation for the new tax law. Cadence Bank Corp. is a regional bank operating only in the U.S. The stock has shown surprising strength recently and will report 4Q results near month end. So, Jim, in an environment where Fed funds rates are expected to rise three times, do you see green shoots for Houston-based CADE? The answer is I do. I like that economy, and I like the buyback. And I think it's a very inexpensive stock. It's the kind of stock that people stop talking about, Dave, and that's a real good, that's a real, real good opportunity. Count me as a buyer. All right, there are four dichotomies driving the market right now, and they're gravitating toward the bulls, not the bears. And it won't end anytime soon. It just won't end. There's much more mad money yet, including my exclusive with PPG. Hey, did you see that stock today? It be steaming higher, almost four bucks. How is the coatings company getting into the autonomous vehicle game? I've got the CEO. Ben, is your portfolio prepared for what's next in this market? You know what we haven't played lately? Am I diversified? Well, we got to step it up. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. all sorts of economically sensitive stocks, what we call cyclicals around here because the prospects are so tightly linked to the business cycle, have caught fire, especially the industrials and the chemical companies. But there's still some players in this space whose stocks haven't quite taken off yet, and they might be able to play catch-up. Take PPG, the excellent specialty chemical company that makes all sorts of proprietary coatings and paints. While PPG stock ran up 23% last year, it's pretty much flat over the past three months. That relative underperformance is partially because after the Great Recession, the company did everything it could to become less cyclical, very smart, like selling its more commodity-oriented chemical businesses. But that's precisely the kind of thing that's going back into style in the Wall Street fashion show. It hasn't helped also that raw costs have gone through the roof. Still, could this stock be ready to soar again? Just this morning, PPG delivered a robust quarter. Company beat Wall Street's estimates by a penny off of a team basis. Sales came in higher than anticipated, up 8%. You know how much we love top line. PPG seeing better pricing, higher volumes, and it's getting a nice tailwind from the weaker dollar. And the stock surged nearly four bucks. So let's take a closer look with Michael McGarry. He's the chairman and CEO of PPG. Hear more about the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. McGarry, welcome back to Man Money. Hey, Jim, it's great to be back, and I'm sorry our Steelers aren't going to be playing your Eagles in the Super Bowl. Uh, I wanted a Steagles game. I thought it made so much sense. And, of course, uh, you know, best team win in Pennsylvania, but, no, we will miss you. We will miss you. Yeah. All well, right. Good well, luck me, on Sunday. It was, thank you. I, I hope you don't need it, but thank you very much. All right, something really interesting happened to your company, and I want people to understand this. You had the best volume growth in three years. How were you able to do that? Well, Jim, it's a combination of a number of our businesses had uh, good quarters driven by technology. So if you look at our industrial business, new water-based technologies, our uh, packaging business, new innovative coatings to uh, protect the inside of the can, our refinish business, again, water-based technologies, and, of course, aerospace where we produce uh, lightweight sealants. So a lot of this game is there. And then we're uh, obviously pleased with our architectural business, so a number of our coatings, especially timeless uh, stain and paint in Home Depot, uh, did very well. Now, you also uh, are benefiting. I mean, you, you guys put your tentacles in a lot of different countries for a while. You suffered. It's really coming back and, and making things great for you now with that weaker dollar. Well, certainly, as you know, only about 43% of our sales are in the U.S. The rest are global. And uh, 
we're in 70 countries for manufacturing. We sell in 140 different countries. So, you know, we are uh, we're present everywhere around the world. Uh, we always tell people that, that if it moves, we, uh, we should paint. If it doesn't move, we should paint it. And that's in every country. Makes a lot of sense. I like that MO. Now, the last time we talked, it was about electric batteries, and people didn't realize that you were a stealth play on that. This time we have to talk about electric vehicles, but that are autonomous driving and also the non-electric, because you're involved with something that's pretty darn exciting about autonomous driving that I don't think people realize has to do with codings. Oh, absolutely, Jim. If you think about the LIDAR and radar that enables autonomous driving, you know, they need to have uh, the cost driven down so this can become a ubiquitous technology. And coatings will help them enable that technology to work with less number radar and LIDAR units because it'll make the car more visible. We can do things with the paint that will enable it to uh, be seen easier. We can put the LIDAR and radar in the bumpers so they can uh, not be so ugly on the car. So if you think about why the Tesla uh, 3 is, has such great uh, visibility is because it has the ability to hide a lot of things in it, and we're going to enable that. So, okay, I, I read some great reviews about the Tesla 3 that talked about just precisely about that. I did not know that was your coatings that hid what is you know, largely unattractive in a lot of cars. Well, I think you probably ought to talk to Tesla about how their <laughs> technology works, but we're certainly pleased to be a, a leading partner with them. All right, now, we're always waiting for the big deal. Uh, we're always buying back stocks. You've got a lot of capital on the side waiting. Uh, nobody seems to want to be for sale. You don't want to do anything hostile. Or is it just you're just buying your time for the right price? Well, as you know, we like acquisitions. We're very good at it. We continuously do it. And uh, we would prefer to do acquisitions. But in the event that we can't, we've said we're going to spend $2.4 billion, return that back to the shareholders, either stock buybacks or acquisitions. Um, so we'll be in the market in Q1. But obviously, uh, we're going to announce more acquisitions. We've already announced uh, one this year. And uh, we have a pipeline that's strong. And so we'll be looking to do more uh, later this year as well. Well, look, I, I, you've done so much to make it so that you have more secular growth, but you got some nice cyclicality. But more important, you got great technology. I think the stock goes much higher. I want to thank you so much for coming on. That's Michael McGarry, Chairman, CEO of PPG Industries. We have liked this stock for so long, and I'm reiterating, it is the right place to, to be. Mad Money's back after the break. It is time. It's up to the light record. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate Daddy, it's over the lightning round. Let's start with Vince in Minnesota. Vince. Booyah. How are you, Jim? Well, thank you for not saying Viking Skull Booyah. And by the way, Skull's a really bad liquor. Are you coming to the Super Bowl, by the way? Yeah. Okay, I just want to give you a heads up. Sounds like it's going to be a great party at Pete Nigerian's house. So I'm sure you're invited. No, he hasn't invited me. Oh, we'll get wow. you up, Pete. That's Catch up with him. Jeez. I... All right, got to hurry up. Wow. Hey, yeah. hey, my stock is Hormel Foods. I Some like Hormel. One of the few God food stocks with great growth. Let's go to Kai in Indiana. Kai. Yes, sir. Jim, I'd like to get your take on a company called AYI. It's Acuity. This is too many quarters, Acuity. Let's go to Bob in Illinois. Bob. Hello. How are you? All right, Bob. How you doing? Good, good. I really like uh, Greenbrier Company. Greenbrier's interesting, but you know, when I speak of rails, I always speak of Union Pacific. Sam, I am Sam in New Jersey. Sam. 
Hey, Sam, you're on. That's me on the phone, Sam. Hi, hello. What? Hi, Jim. Sam. Would you please give me advice on Baidu, please? I like Baidu. It's one of the only Chinese stocks I'm recommending other than Alibaba. And Ned in California, Ned. Hi, Jim. Booyah to you. Booyah. I bought, I bought Vail at $18. I know. I, I mean, look, you're 13. You can wait till it comes back up, but it really is pure commodity. And I'm not going to recommend it because my Chapel Trust lost too much money in the stock. Sorry, some bad feelings. Charlie in Mississippi. Charlie. Hi, Jim. Long time listener. First time caller. A big fly Navy booyah from Meridian, Mississippi. Howard Hughes Corporation is the uh, stock I'm calling about. Yeah, Am I, 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 I that stock, stock I feel I, I'm not crazy about. Why? Because Bill Ackman, who's a big shareholder, once told me he was going to go to the moon and he's been a seller. So that makes me feel like. Don't fight. Elliot, New York, Elliot. Hey, Kramer, I just want to say you're an awesome teacher. Thank you. That's what I want to do. What's up? Yes. My stock is semantic. You know what? There's too many good companies in that space. I'm going to say by Palo Alto Networks. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Volatility crept back in the markets this week. It sent stocks on a roller coaster ride. How about that crazy day? Just where it was, where Boeing was up and down more than almost 20 points. And that's why I continue to preach the importance of maintaining a diversified portfolio. I can't stress enough, even in this bull market. So that's why we have to play MI Diversified. This is the part where you guys give me a call, or, or you can tweet me. Tell me your top five holdings, and I'll let you know if your portfolio is diversified enough, or maybe I need to blow the whistle. So let's start with a tweet from Sweet Lou, no doubt referring to Sweet Lou Pinella, at Workday Baseball, who said in a tweet late last night that uh, looks like we have uh, the same sleep schedule. He says, hey, Jim, how about a 2 a.m. EST hashtag in my diversified Carnival, Apple, United Health, Raytheon, PayPal. Listen to the hashtag Mad Money podcast every night slash mad tweets. Here we go. I like this. All right, Carnival Boy, we know it as a technology company on the seas. Love that entertainment. Experiential. Raytheon, which is defense and is actually my favorite defense stock right now. PayPal, well, that's Dan Schulman. This is a company that is on fire. It's doing a lot better than America's Best. And United Health Group, well, I talk about that at the top of the show. It's the premier health insurer in the world. Health insurance, technology payments, though, uh, entertainment and defense that is a 2 a.m. hallelujah. Oh, and of course, Apple. Do I have to even mention Apple? Oh, here we go. Technology. Marshall Plan. Okay. Patrick in Connecticut. Patrick. Mr. Kramer, it's an honor. I followed you since the beginning back in Joe Granville days. Holy cow. You're, ta- you're dating me, sir. You know that. <laughs> yeah, both of us. Uh, here's my five. Bank of America. Lomberger, Floor, Microsoft, and Rio Tinto. Well, I got to tell you, here's another guy who seems to know what the heck he's doing. So let's go over it. Let's say Bank of America, largest deposit bank in the country. Floor, my favorite engineering construction company. Maybe they will do some buying of a wayward GE division. Rio Tinto, it's all right. You know, it's minerals. That's okay. Microsoft, premier technology company, actualsourceplus.com. Name as is Slumberger, which uh, is... Maybe the greatest technology company, but it's an oil co- it's an oil service company. Oil service, 
uh, PC, so that's why they're not, you know, not overlap. Mineral, ENC, engineering construction, and financial. Wow. And next is Dan in South Dakota. Dan. Hey, welcome, Jim. Um, hey, Big Mount Rushmore Booyah and Crazy Horse Booyah from South Dakota. Uh, you and your wife should get off the New Jersey Turnpike and come visit the Black Hills of South Dakota for vacation. My daughters uh, went and just loved it. I have to tell you. It was, I thought it was a kind go. of a, wow, really? But they had the best time in the world. How can I help? Okay, excellent. Um, also, one more thing. Living in eastern South Dakota, I got to arm wrestle you for the Minnesota Vikings-Philadelphia game. I wore the wrong <laughs> colors today. I must have I dressed in the dark. What is all this purple oh. stuff? <sighs> okay. Jeez, this is right. Oh, just a sec. That was uh, this is far. Here, I got my stocks. Yeah. I got Apple, Boeing, Caterpillar, Universal Display Corporation, 3M. Wow. See, I like this kind of thing. I'll tell you why I like this. See, you got Boeing, which you know is my favorite aerospace. Apple, own it, don't trade it. Caterpillar, my favorite machinery. 3M, my favorite diversified. And Universal Display, why not have a spec OLED? Now, someone can say, well, wait a second, that's too related to Apple. Oh, give me a break. This is a great technology company. You got technology that is uh, very high end, but you also have a consumer products company that is a technology company. Aerospace, machinery, diversified. Wow, you see 3M lately? That don't quit. Inga Tulin knows what to do. Stick with Kramer. IBM stock back to where it was just a couple of days ago. Is this an opportunity? I think this is important. There are analysts who just upgraded it, and they will defend it very hard tomorrow morning. So if it opens down from this level, I think you pounce. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Bad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.